You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Housing for the Aged Action Group, Hague for short, a housing group for older people run by older people. Present Raise the Roof! We advocate for secure, affordable and appropriate housing. So listen up on the second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. That's right, you're listening to Raise the Roof on 3CR. Melbourne's community radio station, 855 on the AM dial. My name's Fiona. Unfortunately, I don't have my co-host Shane today. Um, He was caught up with other very important work things that he couldn't come into record today's episode of the show. So it's just me. Um, What we're bringing you today is some more audio from our um, at-risk forum that we held about six weeks ago now and this um, is the breakout panel where there was some um, discussion around older women housing and family and domestic violence so we had a really great panel discussion and unfortunately we don't have time to play all of it today but you will be hearing from most of the the people who spoke the first person you will hear from is um, journalist and author Jess Hill, who was the convener of the panel. And then a story from the lived experience advocate, Susanna Jo Day, who talks about her experience of family and domestic violence and how it impacted on her housing. And then we'll hear from um, jo- Jocelyn Bignall from Macaulay Community Services in Melbourne. And then Annabelle, da- oh, sorry, no, Neemat Kabulti from Muslim Women Australia. Um, And if you do want to hear the whole panel or look at the video, you can jump onto our website and I'll give you some more information about how to do that shortly. So I hope you enjoy. um, And yeah, you've got to hear from Jess now. So I'm a journalist and author. And for those of you who don't know my work, just quickly to introduce, um, I've been working exclusively on the issue of family and domestic violence or abuse, as I prefer to call it, for the better part of a decade. Uh, my book, See What You Made Me Do, was published last year. It's been made into an SBS series. And um, the uh, podcast series we were just chatting about just then is with the Victorian Women's Trust, and it's called The Trap. And I think, you know, perhaps an issue that is one of the most crucial to creating safety for victim survivors and possibly one of the least addressed is affordable housing. And this is not just a priority or a preference. It's urgent. And I think that was made clear in the panel that we just saw um, with those parliamentarians and the lived experience survivor, Penny, you know, this is a a huge issue for women aged over 55. There's been a 55% increase in women aged 55 to 74 seeking support from homelessness services in the last decade. And family violence was the primary reason they were seeking help. And these women are in the fastest group of um, growing group of homeless people in Australia. And what's not in those figures are the number of older women who will stay with abusive partners or stay living with abusive family members, sons or daughters, 
um, just to keep a roof over their head because they fear that they fear that they'll struggle to find a private rental and may have no choice but to end up living on a friend's couch if that's even available or living in their car. Um, of course, many older women will experience abuse from their children, as I said, and from carers and so on. So we're dealing with a much broader issue than just intimate partner abuse. Now, of course, you can look at figures for elder abuse, um, which I, I think are pretty hazy. You know, looks at if you there's some figures from OWN Australia that look about 14% um, of older women are victims of elder abuse. But when you're talking about homelessness, you have to look really across the woman's life cycle um, because the abuse that she may have been subjected to as a younger woman um, in her 30s, 40s, that could have set her on a trajectory towards homelessness in her 50s and 60s. So the lifetime prevalence of domestic abuse, um, and this is just intimate partner abuse, is one in four from the age of 16. One in three women report experiencing physical or sexual violence from a man. So these are huge numbers. Um, and I think it's no wonder when you think about the lifetime impacts that domestic abuse can have, that older women are becoming the new face of homelessness. I'd like to acknowledge the content of today's discussion may be upsetting for some members of our audience. So if you are feeling um, triggered by this or you feel like this has really raised some um, hard issues for you, call Lifeline on 131114. Or if your concern is about family violence in particular, 1800RESPECT on 1800 737 732. And details of this and the other services are in the chat. So I'm going to introduce our first panellist. Um, Susanna Jo Day, otherwise known as Sue, is a lived experience advocate. Now, Sue lives at Mossman House, a medium-term supported transitional property for women over 50 through women's community shelters, link housing and Northern Beaches Women's Shelter. So Sue, thank you so much for joining us and I'll let you speak now. Thank you very much. Um, hi, I'm Sue. Um, I'm 67 and I live at Mossman House um, on... Gamagural land. Um, my sister-in-law is actually Indigenous and she faces uh, similar and even more complex issues. Uh, she's an older woman too. Um, I'm really grateful to be here. Um, there are over 400,000 women who are facing homelessness from tra trauma in Australia. Here's a short history on how we got here of for me, how, how I feel. Um, after World War, World War, put your teeth in, World War II, women had been working on the land, driving heavy machinery, working as mechanics and in ammunition factories. Women lost their jobs to men when they came back from the war. Women swapped dungarees and pants for aprons. A government campaign with the aim of getting women back in the home was launched. Circulated were posters, newspapers, magazines and books for women. The women looked like glamorous Hollywood wives. Women were depicted as perfect wives, mothers, housekeepers, cooks, etc., and living in rose-covered cottages with picket fence. If you didn't get married, the insinuation was that you were gay and not normal. Um, uh, that's where I came from. The effects of this propaganda were carried on into my generation. Um, yes. Sorry, I thought somebody said something. Yeah, it's all right. 
When I was a child, I was physically and sexually abused. I was controlled by men. I was scared of men. I've lived with the shame and secret of, of abuse until now. I got married at 18 thinking it would be better than home. The romance of marriage soon evaporated into violence. Expectations of a woman were low. Women were subordinate, women obeyed and were steered through life by their husbands, fathers, teachers, doctors, and any man in authority. Women were dependent on men. Men controlled the money. It wasn't until mid seventies that a woman could get a loan or allowed a line of credit. Couples tried to stay together and not divorce. No fault divorce did not come in until 1975. As a girl, I was raised as a caregiver. Guilt ridden for all of my life, I've given everything to other people, kids, everybody. When I separated and left with a baby, I was in a vulnerable position, homeless, broke and with little support and no housing options. The only safe option left to me and my tiny son was a woman's shelter. There was nowhere else to go. Relationships that followed were abusive. I confused violence and sexual assault with intimacy. I was angry. I regarded kind and caring people with suspicion. The assault and abuse was a cycle I could not get out of until now. I was angry that men who split up usually kept their jobs, money, super and freedom. The children mostly stay with the mother. The losers are women. In December 2020, my previous address became too expensive for me. I had used up savings and super to live there. I also had to get away from family violence. I found myself in a similar position as last time. I needed safety and support and affordable housing. Sydney rental prices exceeded my age pension. A unit was 900 a fortnight. My pension was 1,091 per, fort per fortnight. That left 191 per fortnight. This was to cover utilities, food and car. I was ready to live in the back of my car, but Mossman House took me in. I'd always worked in the caring sector on a low income. I could not accumulate a good super. I couldn't save even after 50 years of work. Mossman House gave me safe and affordable house, housing. It was the first time I was able to step out of survival mode and work through the trauma I had survived. My past was not my fault. There was no intervention when I was a child experienced physical and sexual abuse. There was no protection from anyone. In fact, it was covered up. At Mossman House, I worked through this cycle of trauma. I had intense and weekly sessions with the refuge social worker over nine months. She has also referred me to services and encouraged me to pursue a new life path. Lately, in addition, I received counseling from a victim's psychologist. Now for me, 
pride and openness replaces shame and secrecy. Control over my life replaces chaos in my life. I'll be able to move on from Muslim house with an understanding of my past. My past patterns and pitfalls will not be repeated in the future. I have stepped off of the mouse wheel. I'm going to live for myself without guilt. My rage has dissipated. Mossman House has freed me from my past trauma as a survivor of sexual abuse and physical violence. Thank you. <laughs> wow, Sue, that was amazing. Thank you so much. And I think, uh, you know, you articulate so well that we're seeing women like yourself on the back end of this massive like trajectory of massive social inequality that was so present in the 50s 60s and 70s that of course we still deal with now but mm -hmm. you know though what happened in those decades has this ongoing effect for women now who mm -hmm. are you know in their 50s and 60s now um i'm so glad that you found people um who valued you and gave you safety and gave you that space i wouldn't be here without life. our social worker here I, i'm nearly crying if it weren't for her, I would be on that same mouse wheel. She just showed me, she's young, and she showed me that there's a path for me. So that whatever I've got left, I've got a path now that I, and I just won't fall down those holes again, ever again. Yeah. And look at you now. You're education, education, yeah, and education, 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 yeah. And you're speaking yeah. on a panel. I've been terrified to come on, but it, I have to. I have to be here. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's amazing. I just think incredible. What a, what a long way that you've come in that way. And, mm. and now you can bring that strength of your lived experience mm -hmm. to actually helping others who are coming through the same thing and, and informing yeah. policy. So thank you, Sue. Thank you, too. Um, you, too. <laughs> Now, Sue, if you want to put yourself on mute now, and we'll come back to you sure. um, after the speakers. Yes. And I'd like to introduce our second panellist, um, Jocelyn Bignold, who's the CEO of Macaulay Community Services for Women. Um, this is a Victorian organisation which provides support, advocacy and accommodation for women and their children who are homeless, primarily as a result of family violence or mental illness. Um, Jocelyn, thank you so much for joining us. If you unmute yourself and um, put your video on, um, we'd love to hear from you. Good afternoon, everybody. And, and Susanna, thank you so much for that. You give us all courage. I would like to, um, I'm, I'm joining you from the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation today. And I also want to um, thank the female politicians that are in this forum. Uh, for their bravery in, in being female politicians in Australia at the moment. Um, I will, I'll talk to you today about how Macaulay responds to older women who are homeless due to family violence. Uh, we all know perpetrators of family violence use many tactics and behaviours that result in women being poor, ill, isolated from children and family and ultimately homeless. Women often come to us after trying to manage this situation for 20 years. And I have to say, I've been shocked at the number of women who said that they haven't recognised themselves as being homeless until they've actually lost their car. Um, one case illustrates common themes. And this person, um, an older woman, walked, worked in her small family business for over 20 years. She was never paid a wage and she had no access to money to adequately feed her family. And she spent her spare time rummaging through bins to find enough food for everybody. And she didn't recognise her situation as being uh, equivalent to family violence. 
Eventually, she was hospitalised through ill mental health and discharged to us, a homeless service. Living on her own uh, would not have been easy at that time, um, and not least due to her ongoing fear of the perpetrator. Our response to her and many others like her was firstly to provide a safe place to rest and recover. And sometimes that can take up to nine months. On our, in our service, we have an on-site psychologist, a nurse, a financial and legal clinic. And one of the extraordinary things that they've been able to um, do in the last few years is they've resolved $900,000 worth of debt from 137 women. And can you imagine the relief that that, that um, is for women? We have social activities and informal peer support. We have um, assistance with daily living activities. We have opportunities to cook or not to cook. Um, we have post-housing support um, because recovery is not always linear. And we have opportunities for people to stay connected if they wish. This type of service works for women who need time and extra support and a de facto home until they feel strong enough um, and have the supports to flourish in their own community. Hopefully though, our future won't include women like this because we will have either eliminated family violence at best, or at least have a system in place so they'll be better able to name what's happening to them and able to access support earlier. Poverty is a standout issue for all of the women that we see. Financial support and access to safe, affordable housing are key. Some older women who've moved, moved through our service uh, work at places like the Big Issue Women's Social Enterprise. They tell us that a decent hourly rate supplements their income. They make friends and they gain respect and acceptance from estranged family members. We know through a 2009 social return on investment report conducted by Deloitte Access Economics on 30 of our case studies that our service produces successful individualised outcomes that are cost effective. The solution is easily replicable. What's needed is a safe place to be with in-house our services, time to rest and recover, access to health, financial, legal and housing expertise, support to rebuild social and independent living skills. There is no lack of willingness within the social service sector to work in this way. And all of the people on our panel today will show you different examples. The problem is that funding is corralled into individual funding streams on the assumption that the service will meet, services will meet at the point of need or at the point of referral. Instead, we need to be able to engage governments differently in order to explore effective, these effect, effective models together, not through prescribed tenders, which force round holes into square pegs. Have I said that right? Not through complicated and expensive social impact bonds, which governments end up pay for, paying for anyway. We need honest and direct dialogue with governments where cycles of service services are iterated so we get to the better outcomes. We need commonly shared data and we need to work on these um, good models together so that they can be replicated. Contracting for social outcomes is happening all around the world and used in large and small projects. We could be looking at innovative models of funding to fund these effective services because we can't, we can't build the funding building blocks to keep these services together without that kind of dialogue and actual working together with government. Thank you. Thank you so much, Joss. That um, everything what you're saying there feeds back so much into what we heard from some people at the summit um, last week, which was really that 
to come at domestic and family violence properly, you need holistic solutions. And, and actually what a lot of people like yourself in the sector are doing is holistic. And yet you are forced back. And when it comes to the end of that year at the funding um, point, you're forced to delineate that into all these little silos to make it make sense for government. Um, so they can assign it to a bottom line. And it's just not how it works. No, no victim survivor says, oh yes, this is this part of my life that's being dealt with now. And now this is this, it's just their life. <laughs> um, thank you so much. Um, okay, now if you put your, you're already on mute, you're very effective. So, <laughs> so next um, we have Nimat Kabudli, who's the acting CEO at Muslim Women Australia. Um, she has had pretty much a lifetime of involvement with MWA um, and is such a champion for Muslim women and girls. This is a representative body for Muslim women that's working to enrich humanity and advocating for the equality and the rights of all women. What, what a great mission. MWA provides frontline specialist um, domestic violence, homelessness and settlement support for multicultural communities, as well as community development, educational and recreational initiatives for Muslim communities. Nimat, thank you so much for joining us. If you can um, take yourself off mute and put your video on. Thanks, Jess, and thanks, everyone. It's a real privilege to be here with you all today. I also would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we meet and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. Older women from migrant and refugee backgrounds have invested so much of themselves to Australian society. As just mentioned, I'm here representing Muslim Women Australia due to that investment, that investment of women 40 years ago who gave and continue to give so much to their children their grandchildren, their communities, and Australian society at large, both socially and economically. I'm here today to speak to the need for nuanced solutions to provide dignified supports that are inclusive of all women, so no woman gets left behind as they age. We often simplify homelessness as an issue caused by individual circumstances, as we heard today with Sue and with Penny earlier. And we don't often give enough attention to the structural barriers or abuse which creates disadvantage. We need to design systems with a gendered lens that are universally accessible and change the lens by which we view families, both intergenerationally and collectively. Nationally, MWA works in four states advocating for the rights of all women, including women from migrant and refugee backgrounds and representing Muslim women. We have a very strong service footprint in New South Wales, for 38 years, we've supported culturally and linguistically diverse communities, experiencing domestic violence and homelessness with safe and supported crisis and transitional accommodation, rapid rehousing and intensive support for clients with complex needs, as well as women, um, supporting women in their own choice of home. At MWA, we utilize a therapeutic model that is client-centered and trauma-informed and ensures that it's culturally, religiously and linguistically appropriate. MWA has these existing models with processes and policies and amazing experienced staff. We operate the largest multicultural specialist homelessness service in New South Wales, known as our Linking Heart Service. And we're also a registered community housing provider. Social and affordable housing is inextricably linked to domestic and family violence and homelessness support. And it is essential to effective, qualified, dignified outcomes. The gendered impact and the intersection of family violence, housing and homelessness is well documented, as you've heard today. We know from the evidence that domestic and family violence is the leading cause of homelessness amongst women and children. 
50% of women who leave a violent partner report they're the ones to leave the home. That there are limited and complex housing pathways which place victim survivors in a situation of greater housing uncertainty and that often leads them to delaying leaving a perpetrator. That there are safe at home measures that require women to take on a financial burden with minimal income and minimal rental history. And as we know, that older women are the fastest growing cohort of homeless persons. Supporting women should centre on safety and affordability. We need specialist models of family violence service provision that are inclusive of integrated place-based housing first models that are supporting cowed women and cowed older women experiencing homelessness and survivor elder, survivors of elderly abuse. And it's required now during the, this pandemic more than ever. The older women we support experiencing violence don't just experience intimate partner violence, but they experience it in family-based setting, settings. And as previously mentioned, covert forms of homelessness like overcrowding and couch surfing. Their needs extend to safe and affordable housing, but it also intersects with communication barriers, migration status, cultural diversity, and extended family caring structures, and can be exacerbated by the digital divide that makes services difficult to navigate, as well as the unconscious biases and discrimination that migrant women often encounter. Our experience highlights the spectrum of intersecting needs across a continuum, that the needs of the first or second generation are distinct to those of you who undertook the migration journey themselves, and that those are distinct from newly arrived communities, such as refugees and asylum seekers, or women on temporary visas as they age. Women on temporary visas experiencing violence often cannot access income support or crisis payment and face additional barriers to accessing temporary crisis, transitional social or community housing. This pandemic has shone a very bright light on the issues for older women. As part of our social and economic recovery, we need to take note of the impact of gender inequality across all the areas mentioned before in the political panel. And we need to see housing as a critical infrastructure for those who are lucky enough to have one. The efficacy of this critical infrastructure should not just be viewed in terms of volume, bricks and mortar and critical mass solutions, even though that's necessary. We need to have a multi-tiered strategy that ensures it acts as essential scaffolding that fosters social capital, community resilience and dignified models of healing. We need to invest in community-led specialist solutions. We need to make the invisible visible with dignity and work holistically to reduce the impacts of gender inequality as on women as they age. And we need to ensure that for 49% of Australians who have one or both parents born overseas and that older women from migrant and refugees backgrounds in the now who have already given so much and still have so much to contribute are part of that future and part of our service delivery responses. And we need to make sure that as we work in the present towards the future, that migrant and refugee women are central to these processes. Thank you. City, City Limits. Limits, brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City Limits. That's right, you're listening to 3CR.
855 on the AM dial or available to stream online at 3cr.org.au. My name's Fiona. You're listening to Housing for the Aged Action Group's show, Raise the Roof. And we were just hearing from some panellists at the At Risk Forum. You heard from Jess Hill, um, journalist and author who has been specialising in this topic for some time. Um, Susanna Jo Day, who is a lived experience advocate. Um, Nima Kabulti of Muslim Women Australia and Jocelyn Bignold of Macaulay Community Services for Women. There was a whole heap of question and answer happening after that panel and there was also Annabelle Daniel from Women's Community Shelters who spoke about her um, service in Sydney. So heaps more to listen to if you're interested and you can jump online to do that. Our website is oldertenants.org.au and then go to events and you'll see it all there. Or else you can go to our new House on Fire forum, um, which is the, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago as well. It's, it's a national um, forum for people to talk about housing issues. And the, the website for that is houseonfire.oldertenants.org.au. So that's all we have time for this fortnight. Um, hopefully you enjoyed what you heard. And if you are somebody who is um, living in Victoria and experiencing housing stress or you have, um, you have a housing issue that you'd like to discuss, you can call one of our incredible hardworking intake workers. The phone number is 1300 765 178. And if you would like to get involved in some of our campaigns, policy and opportunities to try and make decision makers pay attention to this issue, you can give us a call on 9654 7389. So I'm now going to go out with a song because I don't have Shane telling me what to do. I'm going to play some punk music and we're going to hear from Amelon the Sniffers, Angel. Bye.